Well, good morning. My name is Neil Chotai. I'm the pastor of Church Life. Good to see all of you here this week. And we are starting a brand new three-week series on the promised king as we concentrate on the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, I really love this time of year. Uh, reason is, I was brought up in a religion that had nothing to do with Christmas. And when we came to Canada from Africa, um, we celebrated the secularized version of Christmas. So we had people telling us what we need to do. So they told us, well, you need a Christmas tree. Go and get a Christmas tree. Put lights on it. Back then, put lots of tinsel on it. Okay. Remember tinsel? Yes. The wonderful gift that keeps on giving. So, so you know... We didn't have a lot of money, so my parents got this Christmas tree. We begged them, please, let's get a Christmas tree, let's get a Christmas tree. So we got this amazing Christmas tree that was this tall. Okay, we put tinsel on it, we put lights on it, and then the presents that we did get, majority of it was closed because we couldn't really afford a lot of stuff. The presents actually buried the Christmas tree. It was quite funny and quite pathetic, actually, at the same time. Um, but then people were talking to us about this guy. Yeah, about Santa. And, you know, when they were telling me about Santa, um, it didn't really sit well with me because some guy comes into your house in the middle of the night. That really didn't settle, you know, especially for an immigrant family coming to Canada brand new. If a white guy came into my house in the middle of the night, we would punch him out. Okay, so, and then we didn't have a chimney at all, but, you know, obviously the Santa Claus movie explains everything now. Um, so that was the Christmas that I grew up with. Um, but when I found out the real reason of Christmas, I fell in love with it. Wonderful. I love everything about Christmas. Love the lights. Uh, love the family get-togethers. Love the food. A little bit too much of the food. But, you know, you got to love the food. Uh, but another thing that I really love about Christmas are the Christmas songs and how they center everything on Jesus and on Christ. So, so I'm in my car, and you know, during you know, early, no, early December, I turn the dial to you know, a radio station that has Christmas music on it. Now, I have to turn the dial. I do not have satellite radio. My 2007 Honda Odyssey did not come with satellite radio. I wish it did. Uh, but then I'm listening to these songs, and, 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 and my... my my van is just full of the music. I love Christmas music. And I'm going to give you um, kind of like a little um, glimpse of the feeling I had within the car, listening to these really, really beautiful songs of Christmas. So hit it, DJ. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive If you know the words, sing along. Next one, how about this? The atmosphere in my van is beautiful, I love it. It's great, centering on Christ. This is good. Wonderful. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. That totally killed the mood in my van. I'm like, seriously? What? And I'm thinking, that, that's a really strange song for Christmas. That was quite disturbing, but I think the other disturbing fact was many of you knew the lyrics of that song in this room. I don't know about that. 
But uh, today we're going to be looking at a song, a couple of, actually one song in particular, um, and it's found in the New Testament, in one of the first songs of the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, and if we could stand as we read the Word of God together. Luke 1, 46 to 55. This is a song ascribed to Mary. And Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You may be seated. So this is a song that is described to Mary. Mary is inspired by the Holy Spirit as she has written this uh, song or hymn, if you will. And it's actually called the Magnificat. And the Magnificat is the Latin version of this uh, uh, translation of the Bible, uh, of this part, because the first word is based on the word Magnificat. So if you hear the word Magnificat, it reveals the song of Mary. Now, before we dive into the scripture, we need to look at the background information. Every time we look at scripture, we need to know the context of why was it written, for what purpose? Why are we looking at it? Well, let's go back many, many years ago. Okay, so for those of you people who may be geographically challenged, this is a map of predominantly majority of Europe. So I'm going to put modern-day countries in this so we can have our little landmarks here. So, so this would be France right here. This around here would be around Croatia. Morocco would be here. You're probably wondering why I'm mentioning these countries, because France, Croatia, and Morocco have now qualified for the next part of the World Cup. Okay? I would put Argentina here, but it would, get, it would just get really messy. I'm surprised how many more people got that than others. Congratulate, good job, English congregation, very good. For those of you who don't know, just talk to somebody who knows about soccer. Okay, so here we have Israel. Okay, make it a little bit prominent. Okay, Israel, the ancient kingdom of Israel. So God had given them this land over centuries and centuries. Um, you know, things happened, not good things. They were in exile in Babylon, and then they come back. And God speaks to them through, their, through prophets, and he's talking to them about what their purpose in life is. So the people have finally come back to their land, and they are waiting for the Messiah to come. They are waiting for their Savior to come. Now, God had spoken to them in the past, but God had chosen for some reason for 400 years not to speak to the children of Israel. There was 400 years of silence. Pretty awkward, isn't that? 
You thought being in an elevator with a stranger was uh, awkward with the silence? But 400 years of silence. Now, silence can be awkward, okay? It can be awkward if you have a busy house full of little kids, when there should be a lot of noise. When there's silence, you know something's up. So for 400 years, the children of Israel are crying out to God, and they're wondering, where is this Messiah? We're under bondage of the Roman Empire. Where are you, God? Where are you? For 400 years, silence, until God chose the correct time to speak. And that brings us to the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Luke, as we were looking at. So going to give some more background information here. Now, it's stated, what Luke has said in, before in this chapter, that Herod is the so-called king of the area, king of Judea. And there was a priest named Zechariah who was married to a woman named Elizabeth. They came from the priestly line that was established in Israel centuries ago. Now, it is Zechariah's turn to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense, incense uh, onto him. And as he goes in, he is visited by the angel Gabriel, who tells Zechariah that he and his wife are going to have a child. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth are very, very old. And Zechariah then talks to the angel and says, basically saying, how is this possible? And because of his disbelief, the angel says, Zechariah, you will not speak. You will be mute until the birth of your son. So Zechariah comes out, he cannot speak. Elizabeth, his wife, becomes pregnant. And this is important because within Elizabeth is John the Baptist, who will be the forerunner to Jesus who prepares the way. Now, we also find out that Elizabeth and Mary are actually cousins. So six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, and the angel Gabriel says that that God most high will come upon you, you will conceive a child, and he will save the people from their sins. The virgin birth. And then Mary goes to visit Elizabeth during this time. And as Mary gives greetings to Elizabeth, the baby in her womb leaps for joy because of the coming of the Messiah who is being carried by Mary. So after this meeting, Mary begins to ponder about what is happening in her life. And as the Spirit of God inspires her and is upon her, she creates this song, the Magnificat. So the time period we're looking at is a time of hopelessness. It is dark. Bad things are happening. But Mary has a song that was given to her by God, and it is a song of hope. So my message this morning is hope in hopeless times. Hope in hopeless times. So today I wanna share on this topic that these are people looking for a deliverer, looking for a way out, and God in this timing brings in the promised king, the Messiah. Now there are times in our lives when we are in difficult seasons. You know, there, there are three types of people here. You're either going into a hopeless situation or you're in a hopeless situation or you're leaving one. That is life. That is life in general. We have the ups and downs. And you, you may be, if you're in a certain situation right now, and you're praying to God and, and you're reading the word of God, and you said, and God, God, I need you to do this. God, God, I'm waiting for this. God, this really needs to happen. And there's nothing but silence. And silence 
in silence. But have hope because God comes in at the right time. And he came in the right time in history. A big idea for this morning is there are three ways hope encourages us in difficult times. This song is written in very much of the Old Testament style. It echoes of what Hannah said in 1 Samuel, verse two, chapter 2, verses 2 to 10. There are similarities within the song of other Old Testament passages as well, from the Torah, the writings of history, and the writings of the prophets. So how does hope encourage us in hopeless times? First, hope changes our perspective. Now let's, let, let's imagine Mary for a moment. Sometimes when we look at people in the scriptures, men and women, we automatically put them up on a pedestal. Think that they're absolutely perfect, that there's a glow around them, there's angelic music traveling with them wherever they go. But these individuals are regular people, just like us, everyday people, living their lives out. Regular people. And that's, this is Mary. Mary is a regular person. She's a teenager at this time. She's a regular individual in life. You know, I know there are some, in, uh, some religious uh, traditions who hold Mary in high, in high esteem to elevate her to a level of co-equal to Jesus, but that is not the true biblical interpretation of who Mary is. She is an individual who was a sinner who needed a savior, plain and simple. She's a regular person. Now, could you imagine getting that notification from Gabriel the angel? Oh, this is what's going to happen to you, Mary. You're, you're going to be giving birth. Um, she's never been with a man. Um, she's engaged. What is Joseph going to think? We're under bondage, and this is horrible. Like, things are bad in life. But Mary has a different attitude and says to God, you know, God, yes, I'll be your servant. But I'm sure at times she was probably a little bit concerned about what was happening. But her perspective changed because hope changes our perspective. Let's look at verse 46. This is what Mary says. My soul glorifies the Lord. And this glorifying God, it is continual. That in all things, she gives praise to God in the situation she is. It, it could be a crazy situation that people are, are wondering, why is she pregnant? Like, what is going on here? Oh my goodness, she was unfaithful. But no, she stays faithful to God and she continually gives him praise no matter what the situation is. It, is going to happen in her in the future. She will continually give her praise. Verse 47, it continues this thought that my spirit rejoices, continual rejoicing in God. This echoes of what Paul says in the book of Philippians. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And she rejoices in God. Then we see something incredible here. We see a dependence. A dependence of Mary on who? on God. And who is God to her? My Savior. She says God is my Savior. I said before, there's some religious traditions that have her as almost co-equal to Christ. But here she acknowledges this. Yes, I am a sinner and I need a Savior and I need Jesus. I need a Savior to save me of my sins. So she understands that she needs a Savior to save her. But she's continually praising God in this moment no matter what happens. And this echoes of the book of Habakkuk 3.18, in which that prophet went through certain trials, but at the end, he always rejoiced in his Savior. We go on to verse 48. 
In 48, she says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Now, this humbleness is, yes, it's a social position, okay, in society. She's a teenager. She's poor. But it's also a spiritual state as well. It's not humiliation, but this humbleness before God. And in that humbleness, she is open to God and what God's purposes are for her in life. And then she goes on to say, from now all generations will call me blessed. Why? Because of her openness to God in the situation that she is in. She's saying, God, here I am. I will do whatever you want me to do. All the while, rejoicing God, her perspective has totally changed. In verse 49, first part of it, she says, for the mighty one, which is God, has done great things for me. And again, she's, she's praising God. And this goes back to verse 46, this continual praise that she has for God. And the hopeless season in which Mary was living in, God changes her perspective in that very moment. She recognizes the greatness of God who deserves our praise because of the hope he will always bring. Hope changes our perspective. In life as followers of God, we can't change things for ourselves to make things better. It's only when we acknowledge that we need God in our lives as our Savior that he helps us. Mary acknowledged this. She understood that Jesus, that God is her Savior. Yes, things can be hard in the season. Things can be harsh in those seasons that you're in. Unimaginable, painful. However, we who are followers of Christ, we know that our hope is in God as God changes our perspectives of the things that happen and great things he will do in our lives, just as he did in Mary, just as he did in so many people throughout church history who call themselves Christ followers. Every single person in this room has a past that God has given them, a destiny, and I've said that many times because it's true. There is a certain purpose for your life on this planet. And as God calls you into relationship he shows you the way. And he showed Mary what her path was. Our perspective needs to change from a position of hopelessness to a position of being filled with hope, with the praises of God. And he will do things in our lives that will be great. Secondly, hope reveals God's divine character. We're going to look at a few things about God in the next few passages certain characteristics about him. The latter part of verse 49, Mary says, holy is his name. Now this is important because in the ancient times, in the, in the Middle East, a person's name was associated with their trait. And in it, she says, God is holy. And when we look at the trait of God about holiness, here is God and he wants a relationship with his people. We are sinners. But a holy God wants to have a relationship with us. That is why he brought Jesus down. To die on the cross for our sins. For the resurrection. Life eternal. It's through the cross that, that God takes our sin away. And we can have this beautiful relationship with God through the cross. The first trait is holy. He is holy. He wants to have a relationship. A God that created everything wants to have a relationship with you. Next few verses. Another trait, his mercy. Oh, his mercy is amazing. They're new every day. And it goes from generation to generation to generation. 
His mercies are constant. There is no limit to his mercy. And Mary says, for those who fear God now, now this is not fear as there are people that were afraid of God, but it's a respect. It's an honor to who God is. The one who created everything wants to have a relationship, a personal relationship with us. With us. And give us his mercy forever. That is a beautiful fact from generation to generation. It goes on in verse 51. And in this, we see some great imagery here. So, 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 so let's take a look at this imagery. She talks about God and, and she says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's strong, has strength with his mighty hands. And with that mighty, with that mighty arm, he scatters those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. And the proud are ones that want to, you know, they want to go it alone, that they know everything, that they, they don't need God. But they do. These are the individuals who say, you know what? No, I don't need that. But God wants to have a relationship with them, wants, wants to say, I'm here for you. In a time of hopelessness, I want to give you hope. And, and look, look at my character. So with a mighty arm, he performs mighty deeds, scatters those who are proud, those who are arrogant, because he knows the inner thoughts of every single one of us. You know, certain things we, we might think we're fooling somebody beside us, but we're not fooling God at all. He knows our innermost being. Verse 52, we have some imagery here. He brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Those who are on their thrones, prideful individuals who are there controlling things and they think they can control all things and other people, but no, God takes them and puts them down. But what does he do with the humble? Lifts them up to a better standard. Going on to 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and he has sent the rich away empty. Now, God, God, God has no problem with rich, the rich here, but in the aspect of rich here, again, it's the proud. The ones who think that by their own hands, they can live their life out perfectly well without God. But no. God says the poor in spirit, those who are hungry, he's going to feed them with good things. Not just food as nutrition, but spiritual food as well. This is the God that shows his incredible character, his strength. And when we look at, at, the, at, the next, at, at those three passages again, in these passages... Uh, God is taking what the world is and he's putting it upside down to where it needs to be, where it should be. And right now I'm going to teach you some grammar. I know you're saying, oh, grammar, come on, really? Yes, grammar. So remember when you were in high school and they taught you grammar? I don't because they, that was never taught to me. Um, or elementary school. But, 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 but I know a little bit about grammar. So we're going to look at verb tenses here. Okay? This is what Mary is saying. Verb tense. Let's look at the verbs. Performed. That's in the past tense. Scattered. Past tense. Brought down. Past tense. Okay. Lifted up. Anybody want to take a guess what this verb tense is? Past tense. Filled the hungry. Past tense. But has sent the rich away. Past tense. The reason why she's saying a song in past tense is because this is, this, something prophetic is coming upon her. Holy Spirit is showing her the future. And this is what God is going to do ultimately at the end. That all of these things will take place. That the society that we see today, it's horrible. But God comes in. And God will change that. 
and he turns it upside down to what it needs to be totally perfect. Now, we are in this time of history in a very different spot because here we have the birth of Christ, the incarnation. We have here the return of Jesus and we live in here in this moment. So something has already started that happened 2,000 years ago and God is doing these things, but the ultimate fulfillment of this will be the day when he returns. So she is seeing the end in this. She has this prophetic um, nuance upon her because the Holy Spirit is showing her and as she's penning this hymn and she's singing this song. In times of hopelessness, we may see injustices, we may sing, see things that are wrong, but we have this hope that God will take those things and turn them around for those who love him. Hope reveals God's divine character. In our times of hopelessness, we need to see hope reveal in God's divine character. We can be in seasons, again, that we see the injustices, things that are wrong. We see one thing happen that's wrong, followed by another thing, followed by another thing, and another thing, and it keeps on going on. But it's through God's mercy and his character that he helps us in those situations as we are going through a period of hopelessness. And God helps us through it. He has revealed certain things to us as we are followers of Christ on our path as we have a faithful relationship with him. Know that God is in control of these things. Now we go to the last point. Hope fulfills God's promises. The last two verses. Mary now sings of God's help for the servant Israel, for the people Israel. Remembering to be merciful, another trait of God is mercy. And as she is saying this, she's remembering the covenants of God, of how God promised the people in ancient times of his faithfulness always taking place. She speaks of Abraham as God took Abraham out of his family and through him, as the word of God says, all nations will be blessed. Not just Israel, but all nations will be blessed forever and ever. That God keeps his promise. And Mary recalls these covenants and all these promises of God that have been said throughout the Old Testament. And it goes back not just to the day of Abraham, but to the first book of Genesis. When sin first entered the world. And God spoke to the devil and God spoke to humanity through Adam and Eve and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's a promise that God will send a deliverer. God will send the Messiah to make all things right. In a world of hopelessness, God keeps his promises no matter what. God is not a man that he would lie. He is God. He keeps his word. And when we are in hopeless situations, we must remember the promises that God has given us, specifically to us. As you speak to God in your prayer time, whenever it is, as you read the word of God daily and speak to God and God speaks to you through the revelation, which is the word of God and through prayer, he has given you certain promises for your past, for your future. And God is not going to break any of those promises because he does not break promises. He keeps his promises forever and ever. 
He gave us the promise of eternal life, the greatest promise ever, that when we are in a relationship with him, we will have eternal life. So when there are seasons of hopelessness that we have, we must look at hope because hope is what God has given us. As we are in this season celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, it is the time of hope to remember that. Of what happened 2,000 years ago in a place called Bethlehem, the promised king was born. His name was Jesus. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. When we look at these uh, things again, you know, hope fulfills promises, but when we look at all of these points, hope changes our perspective, reveals God's divine character, fulfills God's promises. May the words of this passage encourage you during this time. But remember, hope has a name. And that name is Jesus. Replace the word hope with Jesus. Jesus in hopeless times. It is Jesus who changes our perspective. It is Jesus who reveals God's character. It is Jesus who fulfills God's promise. Jesus is our hope in this world. You know... Maybe you are in a horrible situation now. Never lose hope as a Christ follower because God is with you. Bible has clearly stated that he will never leave us or he will, and he will never forsake us. He will always be with us forever. We have that hope that is within us. May Jesus be the central focus of your very existence in every single thing that you say, in every single thing that you think, in every single thing that you do. May he be the central focus. May the gospel of Jesus be the central to your life. That is the hope that we have because this world has no hope without Christ. When we have no hope, there is nothing. When we don't have Jesus, we have nothing. Doing things in our own life, on our own self, is in vain. Living without God, living without Christ, is not living at all. Perhaps today you're in a season of hopelessness and you are following Christ. Go back to the Word of God. Go back to that time of prayer that you have with Him. He is the author and finisher of your faith. Look to him, he who is our hope, who was given to us 2,000 years ago, that God called you in that relationship years ago or if it was days ago. He called you and he loves you and he wants to be in your life and let him be the hope that you need. And always remember the day that you became a follower of Christ when hope entered your life. Always remember Christ in the times of hopelessness. You know, perhaps you're in this room and you're not a follower of Christ. Let me tell you emphatically, living life without Christ is not living at all. If a fulfillment of life is having Jesus central to your very core being, he created you. He made you. He knew you before you knew his name. And he loves you so much. And the void that you may have, that you do have in your life, that you need to fill, you need to fill it with Jesus Christ because he is the only one. He is the only thing in this universe can meet your needs and who loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. Maybe right now you're, you're thinking about maybe having a relationship with Jesus Christ. God is calling you into a relationship. He calls us, each and every one of us, in a relationship with him. The God who created everything 
wants to have a relationship with you. And if that is you this morning, if you want to make a decision, a decision from your heart, you have to ask Jesus. And you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins because sin is what separates us from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he forgives you of those sins. And you believe Jesus is the only God, that there is no other, that there is no rival, there's no secondary thing, it's only Jesus. And third, you commit your life to Christ. And if that's a decision you want to make today, decision from your heart, in a few moments I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can repeat that prayer after me in your heart. It would be the greatest decision you ever make. Because hope comes and lives in, in you. The Bible says that one, once a person becomes a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives within you. That's how much he loves you. He wants to, commun- he wants to communicate with you all the time. He loves you so much. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the song that you gave to Mary and that we are looking at 2,000 years later of the hope that we have in you. Lord God, I right now pray for all the Christ followers. Father, if they're in the season of hopelessness right now, may they just turn to you even more, oh God. Father, may you change their perspective. God, may they, may they understand and, and, and know about your divine character. And then may they remember the promises that you have given them. Encourage them right now. Surround them right now. Bless them right now, God. And for those of you who are wondering whether right now to become a Christ follower, a Christian, as God is calling you, if that is what you want to do, I ask that you pray this prayer after me silently in your heart, and I will lead you through this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for eternal life. I believe, Jesus, you are the only God. That there is no other. And I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the hope of God just be within you. And if you are going through a difficult time, you may be thinking I'm holding on to God, but always remember, God is holding on to you.